just slowly. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, on that note, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're ready. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden, it will all become lovely. The flower that opens in the morning light. Today, we have the most, definitely the most frequent flyer guest we have ever had on this mm-hmm. podcast. Is it number three or it's is it a, number yeah. four? Yeah, it's a three P. It's That's a three P. Curry. Yeah. It's the trifecta. Yeah. It was actually, uh, this will be, f- this was your idea kind of re- to get into. Um, as soon as you said it, it made all of the sense in the world to me. And we will explain what that is because today we have Josh Schlesinger, former owner of Sleek Machine Distribution, which is now just Bissell Brothers, director of um, distribution and sales. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Can't believe it's the third time. I promise I will be. Just as awkward and nervous, getting into our getting into our rhythm as always. So, we have made yeah, very yeah. little progress oh, yeah. in three <laughs> yeah. years. As Patrick Swayze once said, "Ditto." Um, yeah, I think just to sort of set the, I don't know, like when I when I even have listened back to some of the conversations we've had in the last uh, half year or so, I will catch myself saying things that I have no problem saying and and totally believe, um, but things that you know, your classic, like, if five years ago I heard myself saying this, you know, my head would spin kind of thing. And just, it, I think it's important to just be able to do that rather than be like, because that means you're not changing. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. Um, but man, I, at least when it comes to distro, that world with how the brewery opened and just by total happenstance of sort of where the industry was, where it went. Um, and what we did w- within those circumstances, um, my perspective has changed so much with, mm. with distribution. Yeah. Um, I will leave it with saying, do you have some of those same feelings? Totally. Uh, COVID obviously expedited a lot mm. of a lot of change, and I, we don't need to harp on it too much. But the reality is, is in the past three years, um, a ton has changed. Uh, whether it was uh, mandatory because of the circumstances, mm-hmm. or because there was some organic um, inertia also behind it, but totally. it's um, yeah. What we have done in the past three years was going to happen no matter what, in my opinion, there mm. was uh, like where we're at now, maybe, maybe it would have been now, maybe it would have been in nine, 10, 11 years after opening. Yeah. But um, hmm. you know, it feels or it feels natural in a way because it always seemed like where we're at today. And obviously I'm putting the, <laughs> cartway about uh in front of the horse because we haven't really gotten into anything yet but uh the long and short of is where we're at today and when we look at like our sales model what our path to market is what our approach is even the tap room everything all all avenues of sales mm-hmm. we were going to be here one way or another um covid definitely forced our hand a little bit but we were going to be here and i think um, you see that with a lot of things in the way you hear people talk about it is I don't know that COVID in and of itself brought about tons of change, but it kind of pressed fast forward on a lot of, on ways that things were going and, and ways that things were happening. You yeah. Know so, I mean? I mean, yeah, everyone had to think about what they were going to do in these, <laughs> in these uncertain times. Um, but with the exception of our approach to home delivery, which we did great for an entire year, um, you know, nothing that we're, Nothing that we're doing now, the way we're selling our beer, 
um, the way we've leaned into self-distribution throughout the state. Mm -hmm. This was all, we were on that path already, but. So let's, in, yeah, in that let, regard, as yeah. we kind of tee up. COVID's worth talking about in that context, well, even, I think. Even yeah. more, yeah, totally. But even more so as we get into the conversation of, of why it's a unique time in Bissell Brothers for distribution and why there's even stuff to look at deeply right now. Um, let's do a quick as someone who has been on the podcast three times, yeah, so this yeah. being the third, for people listening that are unfamiliar or new listening, let's do a quick kind of recap of your trajectory, the, the entire yeah, thing. Let's, from let's like, do, we'll the, do it fast, <laughs> since we've already done it twice. <laughs> but kind of breeze right through why you are you and we are in a unique situation, kind right. of. Um, so when we when we opened, you were kind of early Bissell Brothers Day, you were moving those kegs around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were at One Industrial, I, I started with the brewery a month after we opened, um, and we were all doing a lot of different things, but the the where I sort of fell into things was on the distribution end, mm -hmm. um, and I, really just driving the kegs around pretty, pretty one-dimensional in that sort of way at that time. Um, but I took over the entirety of sales probably after about a year mm -hmm. and even at that time because it was july of two we launched in december of 13 it was july of 2015 when sleek machine was conceived and mutually agreed upon that this was the path we're gonna go down um launched the company in august of 2016 um so i went from delivery driver to head of sales to owner of the distribution company that facilitated all of Bissell Brothers in-state sale, wholesale yep. sales. And just break um, down the, the the quick reason for that. I know we've talked about it on right. here before, but for somebody listening, that was pretty unique at that time Yeah, pre, to do it that way. Pre-2019, uh, the most uh, beer that you could self-distribute uh, was... Uh, produced uh, 1,600 barrels. Yeah. Uh, the language is 50,000 gallons. So 1,600-ish barrels a year. If you were brewing more than that annually, uh, you were forced to sign with a distributor uh, through massive help from uh, the main Brewers Guild, um, Sean Sullivan and Abe Firth, especially at the time, and our lobbyists in D.C. Um, <laughs> we we were able to um, get a bill passed that, that raised the self-distribution cap from that 1,600 barrels of annually produced beer mm -hmm. to 30,000 barrels of annually produced beer. And at that time, reabsorbed back into Bissell Brothers. Yep. And uh, we were back again, a self-distributed model. And I assumed essentially the same position I had before and always had had. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but now with far larger vol uh, volume. Uh, if, if I can just, I, uh, just to add my kind of perspective to totally. that. It's so funny how a little bit of time and looking back on that really makes it even weirder and yeah. more unique. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't quite have the adjectives for it, but the fact of like even the so we just moved to this space in Thompson's Point. Then a few months later, you guys have a warehouse or you had a few different warehouses, but it was just so strange to be operating effectively as the same company, but in the spirit of like, hey, Emerson, what's up? Like, yeah. hey, hey, Sniff, what's up? Um, you're selling only our beer, but then through the eyes of the law and 
and in reality, in many cases, like you were an entirely different company. Yeah. I mean, you were an entirely we were, different company, yeah. but in real talk, it very much, it did feel like, I mean, it was another company when yeah. you were physically existing in two different buildings. 100%. And explain uh, the building. <laughs> uh, yes. So we <laughs> went to this fancy new place, like everything's great. We had been basically brewing in a garage, um, like a nice garage is what industrial way was. Um, one floor drain, yada, yada, then got this big 10,000. Life is primo, <laughs> except for two months later, explain the, uh, where the first sleek machine warehouse, uh, was. For those in, uh, Portland or Maine, you might know it's the old, um, Portland company complex down, um, kind of at the base of Munjoy Hill. If you've ever heard the Santa railroad, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> the Polar Express point. ever yeah. heard. Yeah. The train <laughs> rolled right past my shit station. Uh, yeah. There's a lot. It, uh, it, the oldest, uh, standing industrial complex in Portland after Damn. all these fires that ripped through the city. Um, yeah, this, this, uh, you know, I don't know, four, five, six buildings down there. Anyone that, of area though, yeah, yeah like yeah. Uh, it was it, it was a true complex. It was anyone that went to um, uh, the 2013 Shelton Brothers Fest, anybody that went mm-hmm. to Beer Meets Wood from Beer Advocate in like 2017, um, that is the same spot. Like tucked behind, literally tucked behind a curtain was my walk in and a van, and and Emerson and I lived out of there for. Uh, Two years before we got evicted, to, so they. It could was. I just got to ex- ex- add again. You get Condos. used to any space you're in, but for me, when you know that I didn't, I would go there maybe like four times a year. There's not really much reason to, right? Um, but it was almost like, um, it felt like a movie set in some way, like a the shittiest movie set ever, because it's it is a giant, like it's a hangar basically yeah, for yeah. boats, yeah. like probably. 30, 40 foot ceilings, something like that. And just space, these giant beams. But then, so there's, it's just a weird kind of building. Like, oh, this is where a warehouse rave would take place. Great Big, place for uh, that. That's a pretty but good adjective. 100% warehouse raves yeah. occurred. But then plopped kind of into this, onto the side, but hyper visible beyond the curtain, of course, um, is a walk-in, sort of this, weirdly built office that i think like pallet fence it was just a weird site it looked like oh that's where the the filming's taking place i don't know what movie this is that happens with a walk an old walk-in kind of this weird fan you know yada yada but there's nothing else around it looks yeah that's anyway it was just bizarre and it didn't even strike me as that bizarre during the time but talk hearing you talk about it now it was like that was fucking weird (laughs) it was weird but when you Think about that lead up in year one and you each day was probably longer for you than it was for me. Guaranteed it was. It also was like every day was like a month. So much (laughs) fucking happened. So a year from 2021 to 2022, that feels like a year. Yeah. yeah. That 2014, 2015 was totally, man. I mean, you're totally right. No one had kids. We were all working 16 hours a day, probably yeah, yeah. doing all the things you do in a brewery. You brew, then you package, then you deliver, then you clean. Yeah, let's do this as inefficiently as humanly figuring possible. Figuring out how to do it. As never humanly d- possible. As it comes at you in the given day, like yeah. time to do that now. But it also just like prolongs 
the perception of time. Yeah, totally, so every man. day was this. That's a very interesting observation. Lifetime of yeah, time. Yeah. So a year in and in July of 2015 felt like we had existed for five years. Already. <laughs> uh, and that's why I think my timeline skewed on it. Th- thinking uh-huh. back, I was like, really 2016. But anyway, um, that that was, I think, a worthwhile um, aside because I just had to kind of relive that warehouse. Totally, but, just yeah. for to get two back. sentences oh, yeah. to add to it. Training time, getting into the company. One of my first things to do was go meet Emerson there and do a ride along. Emerson. And that fucking first pulling up. I was just excited to be in Portland. I was just excited to be part of the company. So I thought it was like the coolest fucking place in the world. But the sign out front. Um, oh, the hell yeah. Old, like retro kind of, yeah. I was like, yeah, totally. that Ryan Adams joint. Yeah, exactly. That Ryan first, things. Yeah. Exactly. First hell introduction yeah. to Ryan. Didn't know it at the time. Yeah. But I saw that sign. I was like, this is the coolest place on earth. Yeah. It, it was, was cool. cool. It yeah, is right. cool. It was I don't cool mean it like Pee Wee Herman. No, weird. no, not at all. But that like, kind of like renegade. Bizarre, right, uh-huh. Ben? Yeah. Renegade rock star type. Like we're fucking selling beer. We're moving it around by any means. In retrospect, totally fitting almost. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was like, yeah, that actually totally made sense. Uh, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, so you were at that sort of point in the trajectory of Sleek Machine comes into the fold. Uh, the laws changed, which it, also I'm not even going to go there, but Another thing that's shocking to just sort of passively talk about, like, yeah, now you can self-distribute 30,000 barrels or yeah. whatever it is, um, where that was the bane of our existence, the number, that measly 1,600, yeah. you know? So that's Shane. Shout out um, to the, the brewers, main Brewers Guild for sure. But yeah, continue sort of early life as Sleek. Uh so we got, yeah, we got evicted and then we moved because they were, they're redeveloping that whole plot of land right, down there. That's true. Um, and, um, but, uh, and we relocated to thankfully a much newer and much more geographically, um, closer proximity to the brewery warehouse. But before that, it would have been right around that time. It, I, I got, I got evicted on Christmas week of, of, uh, <laughs> Of 2018. We did two years there in one year. At least you're Jewish. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to Jesus, you my boy. Uh, <laughs> a decision also had to get me, because at this point in time, I had two drivers and a salesperson, probably soon to be three drivers and a salesperson. Like there was this, there was this undeniable scaling that, that yeah. had to happen. And I, I've talked about this repeatedly with other distributor friends, the colleagues at this point um, about what distribution is as a model. Mm-hmm. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and it is inherently an industry of scale. Yeah. And if yeah. you're not prepared um, to swallow that pill and to scale up and in that industry, that means you're signing new breweries or I'm coming to you being like, we got to, we got to do more beer than you're comfortable yep. producing at the moment. Um, because I, I will literally buy you a tank yeah, to fill, yeah. you know, that's, yeah, or, totally. or that sort of thing. But I mean, at this point too, I also had a, a good handful of breweries that I worked with only on events uh, that we could have talked about in greater things. Other breweries had come to me to discuss the potential of working together from out mm-hmm. of state, which I had my own philosophical hangups about. But, you know, when you consider what, what scaling really means in reality it's am i just never going to give a raise to emerson yeah am i am i never going to move out of this dilapidated building i mean like i'm okay with it but it's not my (laughs) 
It's right. not responsible of me right. to tell these people, like, mm-hmm. you need to burden my stubborn approach to this company. This yeah. is an inefficient plateau right. that you're going to exist in. This so, is the future. And that's why when you, I know it's just super lame, into, but when you talk about it's it's intrinsically a business of scale, that's because of all the inefficiencies that happen when you're doing it in a smaller sense that can get smoothed out as it gets bigger. It's not but, even so much that. It's just that where where's where's the runway from here? It doesn't exist because there's no, unless Bissell Brothers is prepared to internally say, all right, we're, we're going to do X amount of barrelage this year. Mm-hmm. And then I react to that as opposed to me approaching Bissell Brothers being like, we need you to do this because I need to grow. But even if I did that, be, there's still a ceiling. There's mm-hmm. still... There's still an end in sight, and that's not fair to a staff. So it was in that time where I, you know, we needed to reapproach this self distribution cap. Mm-hmm. That was sort of like, you know, the quasi Genesis story to me pushing that agenda to. I mean, I reached out to the BA. They wanted nothing to do with me because mm. I was on paper a distributor. Yeah. Um, I reached out to the guild early wow. on. Wow. And they also were like very trepidatious about working with me because I was a distributor. I'm not a brewer. And there was just like, it was this thing. And it's just like, you, you do understand what I'm fucking trying to do here. And beyond and like, that. Who's trying to benefit from For an this? organization, like the three tier system is what it is. Yeah. So like you, these are a necessary partner. This like... Yeah, it seems it's inter- it's just interesting. I didn't really know that there was that much resistance when you first. Uh, there was a good amount. Yeah, uh, I I got I got texts basically that that told me to back the fuck off. Yeah, uh, like this is this is the, get like, your own organization. Pre- pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. But also, I think that the guild was also about to actively really start like digging their heels into this um, for that legislative session, so yeah. that bill could get proposed. Uh, and in that and in that time, I was politely told to back the fuck off um which which is fair because flash forward then maybe eight nine months down the road pete and i are in augusta giving testimony on the merit of a raise uh self-distribution cap yeah you guys did almost, a filibuster if i remember correctly yeah yeah <laughs> buster in you were up there buster in uh which was great we had unanimous support from the um national beer wholesalers association national i don't know some Which would acronym. have technically been your association yeah but i mean it's not like i pay I know, dues but, I w- but that's wasn't for a, me uh, yeah but um yeah why, you could why would they be in unanimous support of breweries being able to self-distribute more? i couldn't tell you i think that yeah. the optics on on fighting it would have just been too fucking gotcha. bad at that point that, I, that that's entirely speculative i have no fucking clue but my gotcha. it was just counterintuitive to the ear yeah right? yeah so it's interesting and then that i mean that that bill from the time that we gave that testimony to the bill passing was i mean pretty five six weeks i don't, I don't know yeah it was quick. like warp it felt like warp speed yeah to me. like but wait, then we had happen? to like sit on it for a while because this was in the spring of 19 so early 2019 and uh sleek machine did not dissolve and reincorporate we did not we did not reauthorize our our self-distribution rights until it was the week before it was march of 20 it was like the first week of march of 2020 meaning like the the breweries you had sold beer for 
you officially like relinquish the right to do yeah, that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, sold those distribution rights, um, to other distributors and, uh, predominantly really just one. And we, uh, and, and you guys, I mean, it's just like, it's all, it's all just administrative paperwork de- declared your, yeah. your, uh, self-distribution I rights. Again. <laughs> distribution <laughs> rights. Uh, and then that was, yeah, that was, that was that. And then we, Started chipping away at what, because we had done, it's, it, it did, it so was then very, COVID basically happened. I and then believe, COVID happened. Yeah. COVID that happened. was March of 2020. Yeah. It was the week of, it was the week before well, that like great the deal time was done. To be in, well, yes and no. A great time for the security, I suppose, of being in house. Yeah. Like of a bigger, totally. more, like yeah. just totally. more, more funds. And so there was that for sure. But also what you do with the brute. Totally. So like, what was that? I, yeah, we kind of lived through it together, but what was, um, again, a thing that happened kind of quicker than I expected where beer started to go up, but yeah. Talk about what we did and and how kind of what your role was in it. Well, the first thing we did was panic sell everything. Correct. Uh, (laughs) We, we panic sold more fucking beer out of state than we'd ever done. Highly recommend. Yeah. It was, it's, it's great for the brand. Yeah. Good good optics all around. Uh, yeah, we, we, I mean, yeah, put it on a fucking truck Yeah, pretty much. If we got it, sell it. And then like, I think we didn't say it outwardly, but I think it was like, let's just get, let's sell all this beer and then let's. It really was only like two weeks of this. Yeah. But then you look back <laughs> in time and it's like, whoa, we had a crazy couple of weeks there. Yeah. So uh, did everyone. Though, yeah. Like yeah. But I mean, time. we also decided on the home delivery model, like on the spot, like that day, March. It was it was a Monday, March 15th uh, managers meeting that we all sat down and, and was like, OK, uh, put the beer in the in the vehicle and let's fucking go. Um, definitely that day, still low lit. mass count at that point. What's that? Definitely still low mass count at that <laughs> point. Oh yeah, but we I were like wearing meeting. sad droopy ass gloves, like we were saving the world. Uh, but it it was like it. The important was like yeah, like okay, we reacted on the on a dime, totally. But only so much self, uh, uh, only so much um, home delivery was going to put that amount of. Yeah, beer you want to talk about them. inefficient? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Distribu- self distribution could be wildly inefficient in its own right just from the fact that the it's a physical job the the physical beer has to travel to the place via vehicle that's being driven by an employee so the more you can put on that that to me is the simplest explanation of the scale part yeah Um, yeah yeah but um beyond that so then you break it down so much more granularly it's like not not just the gas station in Jackman we're talking about anymore. That's wicked out of the way, yeah, but killed a guy it's, still buying, of a it's still five cases or yeah. whatever it yeah. is, you know? Yeah. So it makes it worth going to the middle yeah. of nowhere if it's a store a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. But when it's the guy buying, I think, what was our minimum? Three, four packs? I honestly don't remember. It was at yeah. one I point. felt like, um, uh, yeah, that was Alex Lisker's show at the time. And, and you know, God bless people that supported the self-distro. For, or well, the home distro, I should say. Yeah. And they but, did. Just real, but, yeah, real, yeah. Can I say something to that real quick? Because it's funny you say that. Obviously, being, I've always, I'm kind of super self-conscious to the model that is Milo in the first place, right? Because smaller, more rural, rural. It's this very small part of like a big thing that almost only gets to exist because this does. So then COVID happens. And as you, like when nobody has any idea what's going on, become worried about like the entire thing. Like if some, if 
times get really tough, the first thing that's going to go is this. And then home delivery opens up and you, it, it was this huge wow. sense of like, I'm not to be super. I, like, yeah, meaning, I never knew that was meaning a part the, of your thought. The fucking Crazy. world, you mm. know, that these people are showing out. I remember to that extent, we were, we had one van, we're moving around, but I was throwing shit in my own personal car to like, we're going to make this worth it, baby. We're going to make this worth it for the company. But I remember calling you pretty early on, just talking for like a quick minute. And we, I, I was having this moment of like, I can't believe that there's this many people everywhere buying this beer in the middle of this like wild time where no one has anything no no one knows what's going on and it's like it's keeping me sane and normal and giving me some sense of normalcy i think the words you said were you, you spoke all to the brand equity or just like the people seeing you've never seen brand equity at this mm -hmm. kind of stage and it was giving you the same excitement too um but the point I really wanted to make to the customers and the people listening is like, it felt like it was saving me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like not the other way around. It was crazy. Like, I get to do my day in and day out and have a job. It was a very easy time to uh, just exist in this tunnel vision sort of way. So to, yeah, hear that from you is, yeah. It's but yeah, I think just like really quickly, it's the point of like sort of what I circle around about like, this bring togetherness of beer, mm. great example of mm -hmm. that in a natural kind of simple way, because it's their normal too. 100%. Thankfully, it was it was a uh, um, what's the where organisms like help each other. It was reciprocal. symbiotic. Symbiotic, <laughs> yeah. It was this very symbiotic relationship in that way, but in terms of our side, completely true yeah. in, in that observation. But. Um, but yeah, honestly, enough of COVID talk. Honestly, it was a yeah. great. It was awesome to be. COVID able to do was that. really cool, but um, but coming out of it, I think going back to the beginning is a is a great place to really dive into now. Yes, is that um, COVID? I, whether your perspective on it is accelerated or even maybe like you know parallel universe type thing, you change tracks a little bit because of this this anomaly, not anomaly, but unexpected thing happens um so the something evolves in a very different way either way we're here now though and everyone's distroing more beer than they ever have and that's i don't know i'm going the five-year me thing be like this is my nightmare pretty much but right now i am excited it makes me excited a lot of the things we've been doing lately and been focusing on focusing on their completely new conversations it's a reminder to me that we can even if you're playing in sort of this traditional quote unquote framework for some, some of these things really feel like that, like, well, this has been done a million times before, but then you realize, no, there's still ways you can play ball in this way, but also do it your way mm. and do it in a unique way. Um, so that's not a, really a question, but, um, how Great do you pontificating how, though? I'm uh, really yeah, good. Big tificator. Um, <laughs> but yeah, coming out of that, like, and sort of, for, I'll say this. How would you describe? What would you describe in in a nutshell as sort of those COVID catalyzed changes in in your world? Oh uh, well, I guess it w didn't take long in COVID to realize that the potential for this particular brand um, in the state of Maine just had um at. It, seemingly just an infinite amount of of running room so uh you know we opened up we initially sort of opened up the sales faucet in a way that we had never done before i i don't really know how else to say it because yeah. it's like we had really just 
held so tightly onto that totally um, intention in, in an intentional sort of way. And, um, and when we started to see, you know, when we just started saying uh, yes, more than we ever had before, like, yeah, we'll sell you the beer. Like we, let's do it now. We don't have a tap room now. Like, I don't know when we will any again. Yeah. So like, yeah, yes, you can have the beer and we'll figure out the rest, uh, later. Uh, what, what was made very clear initially was that we needed someone in a position to grow our market share in the States. Um, we had the infrastructure in place to facilitate the logistics. What we didn't have was someone in the hot seat to just get the fuck out there and like still operate from a place of intention, but go out there and like, let's see what we can do. Action Bronson. Style. Yeah. <laughs> that reference baby ain't for me. <laughs> so we, we realized internally there was so much potential. We needed to invest in that potential. So that's um, essentially when we brought up uh, McGregor, yep. who shout at out. the time, shout out, uh, was uh, our business development manager. That's what he was brought up to do. He, he moved up here from Atlanta from a similar sales capacity. And he, um, he with the with the express purpose of see what you can do with this brand in the state of Maine in an in, in intentional sort of way. And he's not even from Maine. So it's like the the height of this order was so tall yeah. that I I can't believe what he did and what we all collectively accomplished in that short period of time. In year one, we went from. Uh, about 200-ish accounts to 600-ish accounts. In the Um, state of Maine. In the state of Maine. And that was predominantly driven by the work of McGregor in the year. So now this is like 2020 to 2021. Um, And and we were all as a a unit facilitating, but I mean, you bring on someone that does that much kind of work, now we need to do other things. We need more drivers, we need more vehicles. And the next thing we knew, in the first year of COVID, we had twice the fleet twice yeah. the sales personnel mm-hmm. and um real real quickly where did a lot of that new business come from geographically like or or even the type of establishment it was when you're talking about over 300 places it's obviously going to be a very wide spectrum but at that time and you probably felt some of it at yes there's running room but i even i had no idea there was even physically that much places that we would make sense to have beer mm-hmm. at um so it's really shocking so i'm curious like was that r- mostly rural was it mostly yeah uh, mostly yeah. rural i yeah. mean it's it's everywhere because we had we had just yeah we had just had, had such a tight grip on our growth for so long that i mean it's Maine. it it has to be rural there's no there's only so many like metropolitan hard air quotes here, metropolitan areas in the States. Yeah. And um, Portland's so Southern too. That- and Portland's so Southern and Portland's so saturated. Yeah. Uh, you don't get to say you distribute to the state of Maine unless you touch every corner of the state of Maine. 16 counties. You must. Okay. You must touch them all. Um, and not just touch them all, like do your best to exist Be there. there. Yeah. Um, and, and we did a lot of things in that time to make sure that we were being there. But um, yeah, that, that, that your original question about sort of like the genesis of what COVID sort of like for that, that next chapter of evolution was what can we do for growth in the state of Maine now? Um, and when we, when we, when we, uh, 
honored what we needed to do in that moment and and grow in the state of Maine, uh, that put us into a whole new chapter for wholesale in the state. Because to facilitate sales for 200 to 700, I mean, and I'm talking about recurring, maybe like 75 accounts a week ordering to now almost 300 accounts every week ordering. It's that we are a logistics company. That's totally, man. uh, Always have been, but never more have we needed to really focus on what those, what the logistics of doing that necessitates. So for you, what have those been like? I'm sure that, again, if your former self, like, you know, would just be terrified in this situation. But like, in terms of how to handle this juggling act in a lot of ways, but also um, I think a lot of it's not repetition, but just um, diligence, you know, like certain things have to be done by a certain time every day. And there's a lot of things down the chain and before the chain that you know, is all dependent on, on this thing. So it's just a lot to balance. Um, so what do you think have been like the biggest keys for whether it's even just perspective, um, for that's made you so good at what you're doing right now? I know you'll hate the, that last part, but <laughs> forgive me. Say it, say how good I am. again. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to be very cliche and, uh, I hate to use it as a crutch, but it is, uh, a hundred percent the team mm. the people that that do the work um it's it's easy to sort of play puppeteer and and say i want this here and that there and you there and you here it's another thing to have the right people in place to do that thing especially when that thing is not always a very fun thing to do it's a uh, grind lugging beer is a hard thing to do yeah. cleaning draft lines is a hard thing to do yeah taking text messages from a from from a beer buyer at one in the morning is not a fun thing to do yeah uh n- not to say that there isn't not fun things to do for every person to do in whatever their job is but in this capacity it's like you have you have to endure yeah um in a, in a very specific sort of way and every single person that works in that department in this in this for this company endures a ton mm-hmm. um and they but they but they take it in stride yeah. and, that, and, and that what our low pay it's the low pay that they, <laughs> yeah it's it's because you have to make your piece of being blue collar so in making your piece of blue collar you have to accept uh, not <laughs> well obviously though for i say similar things about like of course where i'm at the everything's dependent on having the people doing the stuff and having the right people there. I can't help myself, but brag a lot about our really low um, turnover rate Mm -hmm. and all those things. It's a huge part of this podcast. Um, But in the same way, like I go through phases of you have to learn a new trick as a manager, as, as you put it, as the puppeteer, um, it's the logistics. You are fully a logistics company, Speaking like all all praise to others aside, which there's plenty of deserving and and let's have that be said. But without that, like what have you specifically like what what blades have you sharpened or had to kind of create through that growth? I think, uh, well, it's a hard question to answer because within this uh, beer industry, I have existed in this very singular sort of way. So I don't have much to compare it to. And I think when you sort of like look at how you've grown, you sort of look at it in terms of how you've existed in this capacity elsewhere. 
Mm. So it's a little bit hard to answer that question. Um, oh, that's uh, okay. But I, I would say, like, from my observation, you become a lot less. You'll always be a, a, a stubborn to a degree. But I think you've I think we both have, have had to do it sort of make peace with with actually being like, OK, I'm holding on to this one thing for not right, right the right reasons about principles. So may, and because, again, with where we are now, principles have changed and our beliefs, they've changed and they haven't mm-hmm. like the core remains. But we've accepted and understood that, like, we don't have to be that rigid about certain things like or we don't have to be that rigid about not being in certain spaces uh, maybe if that helps you at all the time. Yeah, about. no, I, th- I think I think what has evolved the most for me has been um, perception. Yeah. And, and that 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 growth happens so naturally that you don't just you just don't understand it's happening with them until you are sitting in a meeting talking about high level topics in a very comfortable sort of way or you're mm-hmm. at home creating um, some version of a roadmap for the next year in this very sort of comfortable way. And you don't even really realize that yeah, what you're right. doing here um affects people's real life necessitates uh investments within the company uh our philosophical redirections for the department and the company you know it's it's uh it it feels so natural but when you when you look at it yeah in retrospect it's it's all it's all your perspective changing to reflect uh your circumstances and since I don't, I don't really recognize that as a as a skill set, but just more a, a matter of happenstance. Um, yeah, I'm still not going to be able to answer your question about like, no, what, that, that's what, okay. what, what is what has changed. I think it's just like where we're. I think I'm really good at existing within the moment. Um, so taking it day by day and and letting letting the day marinate a bit, and then using what you've learned that day to mm. to to guide the next day. And the next week and the next year and the next month so naturally it's like and then when you're in that time i'm not looking back um and i i think it's also yeah it's just really easy to do that to be tethered to a bygone era that might have been really good might have been really bad might have been really fun but that's gone the time is gone uh where we're at now is where we're at and that's what needs to drive what we do tomorrow and next week and next year um i have been just as guilty especially in this company where again to to touch on year one again like yeah what a wonderful time what a life-altering time yeah but it is not enough of an excuse to let it necessarily guide big philosophical like moves. just trying to recreate yeah that, it's, that just, the it's whole just time. yeah it's yeah. just it's not it's not a it's not a healthy place to guide a company from nostalgia brewing company <laughs> and nostalgia is great yeah and like i love it i love to like deep dive and do that shit but uh but it's um it's the future's not coming whether you like it or not yeah the yeah it's always and, here and i think tethered was a good ready. i think you used the word tethered which i think a lot of people do do to this kind of positive feedback they had in the past to these to these good moments because yeah. what's in front of you and requires change from you and requires different that shit's uncomfortable yeah the shit you've already gotten through that you could stand tall on and point your hat on that 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 all feels good and and one thing to that you just, you kind of just jog me um you better be ready you said i think one of our biggest strengths has been like belief and commitment to agility Mm. And as you grow, mm. that becomes harder in some ways, but at the same time, you continually have more resources 
to redirect. So that can work to your favor in something like the self distro or the home, like home distro, um, where that would be really hard to do effectively if we only had a third of the staff, because there's only so many places you can get. Um, so I guess in that way, like, is there anything that comes to mind when you've, how have we, I'm asking you honestly, straight up, how have we stayed agile? Because sometimes it feels harder and harder, but then other times it doesn't at all. But I think at our core, we still are very agile we were for real, our size. You I mean, know what I mean? I do. I think I think agility is born out of the growth. Like whenever something new happens, you're you whether you like it or not, we have to adapt to now. Milo, a move from from industrial to here. Mm-hmm. Um, just n- new staff. Um, yep. new staff bring in new perspective, new experience. Uh, yeah, agility comes with evolution. And if you don't continue to evolve or you, or you, or you remain too tied to, to the past, tethered, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say it again, but there <laughs> like he is. It. There he is. Uh, is if you, if, if you relinquish those ties, you're, you're, you are inherently going to be more agile mm-hmm. than to be tied to, to, a thought or like a time that mm-hmm. a, a an intangible thing um and so, those are the ties that bind <laughs> yeah Sorry. call back call back a lot of raspberries yeah. that i handled today yeah <laughs> um but yeah i i think i think agility comes through evolution and but evolution sometimes does need there there's there's circumstances that make evolution natural and there's circumstances that are man-made yeah, it's a, a very chicken and man- egg thing because yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like also like you have to be agile to evolve yeah you know what i mean um but anyway it's, it's just an interesting thing to think about from your perspective because i've when you grow alongside someone but also uh yeah it's just kind of interesting being right here certainly more reflective i guess than i thought i would be same yeah uh, this is not yeah. what i thought we were talking about today yeah. <laughs> and and I don't it's good shit yeah yeah um, I don't think it comes across as like a mem, just a walk down memory lane, though. I think because it's everyone's feeling these is why we wanted, why I think you wanted to do this. Like these aren't sort of these shifts are not unique to us. They're unique through the eyes they're being experienced at ours, but beyond yeah. that, they're industry shifts. Yeah. Um, to to bring it to that point a little bit of some of like what your initial text message was about. There were a lot of breweries like us, and maybe I would. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just going to paint a picture as I saw the beer world a little bit. Maybe 2018, maybe into 2019, you kind of get to kind of peak line culture, peak tap room culture in craft beer. And you have a bunch of these businesses with incredible business models of uh, you're going to come right to me. You're going to line up. You're going to come get this stuff. A lot of this stuff is going to sell out the day we put it out. We're going to have incredible margin on it because... You're coming here and we don't have to bring it to you. And and a lot of the there were a lot of breweries living that way. And then I think March of 2020 happens. I bet you have a lot of tap room or breweries that look like us where maybe say if distro is like 30 percent of a company at that point and tap room sales are 70 percent. I think a lot of those breweries where you sit now have probably done an exact switch on that. Would you would you call would you would you agree with that as a general picture of that type of taproom culture for the most part is is not what it was two and a half years ago three years ago i don't know if i could necessarily agree sure. with that and um i i don't know the, 
Last time I was down like in uh, East Bayside, Portland on a on a Saturday afternoon yep. in the summertime, it is as bustling as I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, th- mm-hmm. um, I think honestly, the biggest change has been for us uh, uh, as a brewery. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing I'm seeing a boom elsewhere on uh, for real. Um, I, I don't know for... if our circumstances are other people's circumstances. Gotcha. Uh, I will up. say this. I think that we were one of the only quote unquote line breweries in Portland where line culture in general is really not a thing anymore. Is at least vastly not the thing it used to be. I feel like that probably is playing because our tap room is still bumping. It's not yeah, like there's yeah. a tumbleweed going yeah. through our tap guess, room. It's still bumping. Good just thing we have this podcast going. <laughs> right, <laughs> the bills. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I think uh, if you if we were in East Bayside, we'd just be we'd be one of those bumping breweries just the same as we are here. But lines in terms of how much cans we're moving out that door without no. the lines, that shifts that tremendously yeah. because people waiting in a line are always going to be buying on average more quantity than an average customer like currently right now mm-hmm. that's out there. Um th- would you agree with that? I would I would definitely agree with that, but I think the biggest the, the the driving factor into why it is honestly different for us than it may be for someone else is just we make more beer than most any other brewery in the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. Um which is oddly measly compared to most other states. Truly. Yeah. Um cuz what will probably be around 12,000 barrels this year. I think closer to 11. Yeah, but, but in but, that but still yeah. uh, that's still a 10% jump from only a year ago. So I mean that's still the Jackie O's way 10%. Yeah, baby. Uh, growth only. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I think it only looks more dramatic here because I mean, just very objectively, this was a place that generated a lot of attention for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so any amount of that sort of petering off in a staggered sort of way is going to it, it's going to reverberate internally more than it might for for another brewery. Um, these percentages we talk about of of what goes out the front door versus what goes out for wholesale. Totally. The bigger you are, those percentages obviously just mean more. Yeah. So for us to all mm. of a sudden be a brewery that sells 20% wholesale and 80% out the front door, but now we're like 65% to wholesale and 35% yeah, yeah, yeah. out the front door. I mean, you are just talking about massive volume, but you're talking about a brewery that's that's doing like 2,000 barrels a year. If the, those ratios just are so less consequential. Yeah. And you're also still talking about, if you just look at it at, in in bulk sum or whatever, you're still talking about uh, 4,500 barrels out our front door a year, yes. which is triple what we, the cap that we had, that we were fighting <laughs> over. Um, so it's interesting. It's all perspective, I suppose. And that's, I think you're both right in those senses, yeah. you know, like there is an industry trend. And I, if you... um Brewery sort of our of our quote unquote class, I would say, especially elsewhere. You mean like the year? Like Trillium. Uh-huh. Like yeah. or um, yeah. or the Veil vale, yeah. and breweries, right, Other that half, are kind of yeah. similar and were opened in a similar era. Mm-hmm. Um are I think experiencing a version of it in their own place. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and that's what yeah, it was kind of an anecdotal thing, but that's where I was kind of coming from with that lens. Right. Yeah. 
So to just sort of bring it back to my perspective again, um, from this summer, like we've been doing things and having conversations and meetings that we never have. Sure. Mm -hmm. And again, these are good things to me. And if you told me in the past that they would be good, they would happen and they would be good things. I would be like, no fucking way. Same. (laughs) Um, One of those things certainly is for what, two years or so we've been in Hannaford. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a COVID thing. Talk about a COVID birth. (laughs) Yeah. COVID birth. But the conversation in all fairness started before COVID. Mm -hmm. It felt like our overall production at the time necessitated the conversation. So we had opened up the door to Hannaford just in a sort of theoretical kind of way, um, about what, what, um, Bissell brothers at, at, uh, Hannaford could look like. Definitely the strongest chain grocer in Maine. Yes. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Um, uh, next to um, Shaw's is probably not a distance footprint wise, but yeah. Um, as far as like beer sales go, yeah, very, very different from each other. But, um, we had entertained the conversation. I had gone into the meeting. I walked out being like interesting, but the timing doesn't feel right type of thing. And then. Time like over happened and the time felt real. <laughs> was right. that, um, so that's that's sort of I think the flashback. That's sort of what I mean about how that perspective can change, even sure. in that sort of a window. But not to dwell there. Uh, was at that time that like the most corporate conversation, quote unquote, of that you yeah. had about a potential place to sell beer? Yeah, yeah. There have been loose conversations in the past with. You know, maybe bigger venues, the State Theater here yeah, in Portland, yeah. or um, I don't think we were even engaging with really any sports teams or anything. But yeah, that was that was the biggest. Um, and I can't even really put myself back in the headspace at the time to remember like what that impetus really was to 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 hit him up. And be like, I, maybe I was just more curious than anything else. Not not like really think I was coming from a place of reality. But well, they had slowly like gotten a little bit more craft beer in some of them, I think, yeah, over time. Like yeah. I bought an NBC in multiple Hannafords. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um and yeah, it just I don't you know, like no no secret to go from, you know, e- existing in this sort of like niche wholesale space and then to enter a grocery store, like a, a traditional grocery store, uh anyone would think about that for a sec as far as what that means for the brand or mm-hmm. um and at the time we were in whole foods we right? were in whole foods and i think that might have been the impetus because we were having great success yeah. in whole foods mm-hmm. and uh there's only one in the state of maine so it was a we were monopolizing the whole foods market uh a bit in 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 the sense of what it meant for us uh it was uh boy they just they they put up just some undeniable um sales numbers that let let me ask, uh, like in Hannaford, in a place like Hannaford, or when you start to get in these more quote unquote corporate conversations, we joke, we used to like rally against it, joke about it, like quote the old guard, but that exists. Like there's a resistance to change or, or something. There's some sort of inertia that sort of favors the standard way of doing things that exists in a much stronger capacity, the more corporate isn't quite the word but it's it is kind of the word because that's what what explain your perspective on that like if you think that's real or not no that's real but i think it's like as natural as could be when you're when you're in startup mode when you're in young company (laughs) mode when you're just younger it's the anti it is it's just so easy to go there and just be like corporate suits (laughs) fuck (laughs) you dude (laughs) 
I'll call you when the pandemic hits, bro. <laughs> uh, but it it it's that's such a <laughs> and then it did. <laughs> that stereotype exists for a reason mm-hmm. because it is a, it's such a real approach to go from being a bootstrap brewery where you're just trying to figure out day by day mm-hmm. to to all right, now I'm sitting talking about like merchandising, skew diversity, what the fuck ever. I'm uh, not ready I, to make the skew concession yet, but I understand that you have. You, you better concede, yeah. baby. We're going down so, skew road. One thing, um, so uh, we're in Hannaford's now at in what, uh, 20 or so? Right now? Yeah. 14. 14, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, explain to me, because it was, it's unlike anywhere else that sells beer pretty much for us, at least from what I've heard is mm-hmm. the merchandising element you mentioned. Explain how that works versus how it normally works. Yeah. Uh, simply put, it's just someone that exists from the supplier side, the brewery side, or the vendor side, the distributor side that needs to live at stock the grocery shelves, store and stock basically. shelves. Yeah. I wish I could give you more context really as to why. I don't fully understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't under, I, I think there's a different thing with alcohol, but I don't understand because Whole Foods, it doesn't exist at Whole Foods. Yeah. They stock the shelves at Whole Foods. Yeah. They do not stock the shelves at Hannaford's. You need to, it, you need to have someone exist within Hannaford to stock the shelves. And that is a very, when you talk about being a company of logistics, that is such a logistic um, and, and not to be arrogant about it, but a brand like ours necessitates a lot of touches. Uh, we, we stock our shelves six days a week at these 14 locations and that is not enough. We have insane real estate on the shelves. Particularly uh, in summer. Uh, like, partic- particularly in yeah. summer. Yes. Um, because but, but that's the nature of Maine regardless but uh at a given at a random at a solid hannaford of ours like at any given time how many four packs of ours are available on the shelf at at max capacity uh 28 so so those sell out for literally four cases and four four packs so it's literally empty shelf until someone shows up the next day to to do the thing yeah and uh, being this type of a brewery with like a self-distributed model yeah you know it's still just like someone rolling we're self-merchandising too (laughs) it's like there and and we have a pretty geographical decent spread Mm -hmm. uh we're as far south as york we're as far north as brunswick with 14 locations in between it's about Uh, 45 minutes on each way yeah it's it's uh yeah it's just it's it takes a lot to do it just a do it. It takes like seven hours. That says the crow flies. Yeah. These aren't about the stops of these things. Yeah. yeah. Just given. No, the listeners need to know the G- the yes. geographical. Uh, <laughs> I did pretty well in social studies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and avian studies yeah. later on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to, to actually do it. Yeah. It's like a seven hour run. Yeah. But we do that six days. And, and it's just, it's and just it, weird it, time a lot of the time, right? Yeah. They, I mean, obviously, they want it earlier than later. They yeah. all open up at seven, and you can do it, I think, as early as like four or five. Um, but no, they obviously want it done so that when they open up the doors at seven, like, of course, they want those shelves looking like the prime time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yes, in summertime, especially if you're in southern Maine on the coast, th- those locations are just. It's just another thing altogether. Um, but what what are you gonna do? Um, we we um, 
Who are you going to call? Uh, yeah, it's a good question these days. Yeah, um, and it is the question, you know, because um, just to, not to speak for you too much, but we saw that and kind of collectively agreed, like, this is working out pretty good, but we there's a serious limit to what we can do with this as, yeah. as we're operating right now. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of pass it back to you there for how we're answering that. Yeah, I mean, this is the limit. We, I mean, push it to the limit. We are, we are at a place right now where to do any more than we're doing now will necessitate more vehicle. Again, it's the same as like what it was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. We have reached a ceiling yep. in, in, in an internal ceiling of like what we can do. An industry of scale. Yeah. Strikes again. Exactly. So at this point, what do we do? Uh, we can hire more people. Um, because we do have the potential to be in more Hannaford, to be in other parts of the state that we are geographically having trouble accessing in a regular fashion. There's just more we could do still. But what do we do? We buy more vehicles. We hire more people. And at a certain point with every single um, bit you invest internally, you are slimming your margin more and more and more. And to capital- it's facilitating like a mass amount of growth. And you've already had that huge growth flick in the state. Right. That you're now you're at the stuff that's smaller and more spread out to smaller get into. Smaller and more spread out and to to appropriately capitalize on it, we we would have to really drastically slim our internal margin. Mm-hmm. Um and then you have to ask yourself a bigger question. When you're looking at that margin is it more is it more beneficial to continue on the path maybe because it, we are so driven in philosophy maybe we're being a little bit stubborn mm-hmm. or does it make more sense to outsource some of this work mm-hmm. um and outsourcing some of that work no doubt for me especially flies entirely in the face of the philosophical direction of the brewery thus far yeah. um so to entertain anything beyond what we're doing right now just as a model i mean that's a it's a big step that's yeah a, that's a huge step and i have taken many uncomfortable steps uh in the past decade uh and this one you literally started a distributor well that to this, avoid this step no before. doubt in no a doubt. couple different iterations no of and there, there's nuance there we should we should we should obviously touch on yeah um because it's not the the adverse the adversity towards working with a formal distributor is not born out of like fuck distributors. It's born out of like, Jesus Christ, just let us make the decision when we're ready. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, we weren't ready mm-hmm. until, until naturally we felt ready. Yeah. And if, ready, if I can just say real please. quick, ready for me. Um, I think a huge thing in this is, we're not giving however this ends up and with whoever it ends up because we're actively in these conversations with distributors to try to figure out one that can fit us exactly what we want which as it normally is is pretty specific (laughs) (laughs) of how we want how we want to operate this thing and we're our goal is to basically be in service all the hannafords in the state at a much higher rate and better job than we it's only way we can do more and combine with that maybe some of the furthest reaches of the the state county wise but my understanding was like there was no granular granularness to how you could have this agreement it was either 
you're distributing the beer or you're not. Um, but instead, you between you and I think you learned some stuff, but also had a better understanding of it than I did. Um, it can be potentially as granular as a town or potentially as granular as a physical address within a town. I thought at best we might be able to divvy it up by counties. But uh, so talk about that a little bit. Well, the counties is the county's approach as far as a territory assignment is concerned is sort of the traditional way of establishing which distributor distributes you where. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just to make it very, very transparent here, mm-hmm. what we're talking about right now, as far as Bissell Brothers is concerned, yes, we're talking to distributors in these in these very specific sort of ways. Mm-hmm. Um the most geographically um, Who wants inaccessible. Who to get us into grocery stores? Yeah. yeah, the most geographically inaccessible parts of the state and our approach to grocery. Sounds good for you, yeah. right? I mean, but no, because but they have the scale, though. Right. Exactly. That's why it right. works. Right. To back to the thing, if they're right. already sending the large going vehicles there. full of a bunch of different brands of beer that are going to be there anyways, yeah. you're well incentivized to add yeah. one brand to that. Yes. There's it, not a lot of hand selling that happens at a grocery store. No. The, sell, the sale has been pretty much done by someone who sees it on mm-hmm. the shelf already. Yeah. But they... um. Yeah, it's it 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 was the natural time totally. to engage in the conversation. In terms of talking about what being when you say it is the natural time now and being ready to do it in in your mind what what are the things that you would think about before that would keep you from wanting to do it and what are the things that you're thinking about now that say like that tell you that this is the natural time for this growth within this company. What makes right, it feel right, right? What makes it feel right? What makes it feel right right now is that we we have seen where our current um where where our current model can take us. Mm-hmm. So uh to to take it any further would necessitate an investment with that would then in turn turn our margin into something that might look a little bit more like what a margin loss would would look like if we had signed with a distributor. Or put a an undue amount of pressure on our sort of production decisions to make a lot more beer to get in. If we wanted to maintain that margin, that's the way around mm. a margin is more. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To get to the same place. So yeah, do more with less. Right. Things. Right. And people. And that's like why, you know, it's a whole other thing, but why... Um, being having our beer in a different state one of the reasons that that used to always seem so like absolutely not but yeah um, and i think over time too the more things you do that you previously <laughs> would have said no to just like in just, life <laughs> it just snowballs and it just makes you more comfortable making these pivots yeah. because yeah. it's like how long how long can you say no to a thing before you do the thing and then you do that enough uh, enough times where then all of a sudden it just feels like a normal thing. We said no to, like you said, out of state forever. Yeah. We have at least five markets that we send beer to monthly out of state. We have one out of state market that I send beer to every other week. Yeah. It's and and me three, four, five years ago would be like, I mean, like I'd be dry heaving just thinking about it. But it's it's now just as natural. But the, yeah. It's like anything, but the Just more like you, anything else. the more you do it, the more natural those next evolutionary steps feel. So to engage with a distributor right now, of course, feels like a big deal. It's mm-hmm. like, 
It is for us a massive deal. We are, for better, for worse, by naturally or man-made, we have fixed ourselves as a brewery that stands on a soapbox about self-distribution, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. So to get beyond that, to have an actual open-minded conversation with a distributor is a huge step for us. And I know we're not the only brewery having to do it right now, yeah. is to engage in these these heady conversations about what the growth is going to be for um, for folks' path, paths to market. Yeah. And does it make more sense to continue doing it um, internally or... or um, um, externally through um, a distributor yeah. or 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 keep it keep x amount in state and we're just going to go out of state and we're only going to focus on self-distro in the state of maine and for what it's worth i don't think it feels to either party like a crow is being eaten you know what i mean Not it all. feels very organic like you're saying um but i think kind of i didn't really make this connection but i think why that that the the toe dip is is feels okay to do right now is because we have really almost gotten our training wheels with having conversations with the very much a distributor that is distance from us. So in some ways, even scarier in these remote markets and doing the out of state stuff. Yeah. 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 Sniff, no matter how hard he wants to try, it's not going to be able to sell our beer in New York, you know? Um, So uh, one question about sort of those other markets where do you see that moving? Um, just becoming, because like for us, I mean, it can't continue to exist in perpetuity the way we're doing it right now, which is we have zero reps. Like really that conversation is, uh, it would just really need to warrant. So to pay someone that you'll like almost never see to live in another place to just sell our beer, which we've talked about is a problematic, I guess, profession for the long run yeah if uh, if you're only having to visit bars you're expected mm-hmm. to drink and if you're doing that day and yada yada so where do you where do you see that our like relationship to out of state going mm. for us and i'm gonna only speak on behalf of us because i i'm fully aware that our circumstances are not another brewery circumstances mm-hmm. Um, and and is a, is a wide spectrum of circumstances for wholesale. I think there. we've made it clear three employees of Bissell Brothers. We're talking about. Us. I just need to. Yeah. I I don't want to. I don't want to come oh. off totally overly arrogant about yep. the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have incredible brand strength, and that has maintained throughout the years. So to when our beer leaves market, leaves Maine, and goes to out of state, it's it's the work we've put in already carries in New York. It, we have wonderful reps in New York. Um, we have a wonderful distributor in New York, as we do in Philadelphia, as we do in D.C. and Virginia, as we do in Massachusetts, as we do in Ohio. These are the, but let's be honest here. It's the the brand is doing a lot of the legwork. The style of beer, a a um, doing legwork, hazy <laughs> New England style IPA is doing a lot of the legwork. Yeah. Um, that was not by, that was, I mean, it was, and wasn't by design, but it is where we're at. What it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And oh, my least favorite phrase. Um, but it's, it is doing, it really says a lot, you know, <laughs> without, without saying anything <laughs> at all. Uh, but it's, it is, it's doing the work that we cannot do. I fully understand and respect the fact that there are breweries out there that need 
that physical presence there to to represent the brand to make sure that the language is being spoken mm-hmm. and shit i wish i could do that too yeah um but again when we talk about what we do on the margins that we're trying to run if we invested in that then it's like maybe this isn't profitable anymore because we don't we don't send beer every week yeah. some of these markets see beer quarterly mm-hmm. i want that beer to perform in a quarterly market as well as it does in a bi-weekly market but i still i i but i can't invest in someone to be in that quarterly market doing like speaking the language doing the work putting on the show doing what you do so well doing what james does so well yeah, yeah, yeah. these people yeah, that what are what i do so well yeah, but it is in a phase <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> true the, the fact that the brand just like the conversation you had with me when all that was going down in march that the brand does a lot of this for people right being, i'm up in fucking milo maine middle of no, nowhere so many of those people come from from out of state in different places and one of the coolest conversations is like when they're my buddy told me he saw this at the store and i didn't even believe it i said send me a picture i don't believe it and they're kind of amongst themselves with their level of enthusiasm kind of a lot of doing that in and of itself which it, is and, an and it's still out there and be. that that is why we are so blessed to mm-hmm. uh but exist truly. in the way that we do at a market i do think at a time this is a bridge we'll probably gonna have to cross Mm -hmm. i don't see a world where the brand strength exists the way it is in perpetuity yeah there is in there's no example of that ever ever in history (laughs) um and and so yeah we're gonna have to probably cross that bridge uh, assuming that we maintain the same approach to selling beer at a state that we do now um i wish we could i mean there's only value to be gained by having someone trusted within our organization to exist in philadelphia in new york in boston and do feet on the floor boots on the ground feet on the street yeah it's important work to do it's it is there's there's only value unless they're just like a complete degenerate it's like there's only value to be gained yeah um so i i think that will happen at some point but again it's it's trying not to operate from a place of of forcedness and trying to let what amount of um uh natural momentum exists mm. that we still can that i okay we're, we're good now like let's let this model ride and i'm looking and if and if the and if it seems like the time is right and the circumstances um seem to uh want to promote like the idea of like putting someone into an out-of-state market like let's do it i'm not i'm not against it there's shit at this point there is literally nothing i'm against uh um, do you foresee it getting easier ever to sell beer into other countries i know so little about um exporting yeah Yeah. Uh, we have touched on more of an importer yeah we have (laughs) we have we've touched on it very lately but up until this point the the uh, our international existence has entirely been hinged upon pre-existing events yeah so if we were in Co- yeah if we were in germany if we were in copenhagen wherever if we were in leeds we were sending beer there for an event and maybe a couple like additional um fill the yeah, palette like, yeah fill yeah. the palette we'll do a we'll, we'll we've engaged in the conversation but at this point it's all been it's all been hypothetical um 
it, you know, within within the walls of this company because we haven't actually done anything yet. There has been the conversation about, um, I mean, we know some of these hot international markets. Sweden is a hot international market. Australia is a hot international market. Um, Japan is a hot international yeah. market. They exist. It's not a secret. And there's a lot of very reputable and respected breweries that choose to go down that path. Uh, we have not yet. Uh, we've we've had these conversations, um, but nothing has uh, materialized um, out of the nebulous, essentially, at this point. Yeah. And for me, I asked more like um, I you still won't have an answer, but just for my for, for context, for me, um, more mean like easier in the just, I guess, boils it, it boils down to margins. It's, it's extremely expensive to just get the beer. <laughs> a lot of to, friction. To a, yeah. F- friction. <laughs> Nothing but friction, friction, pretty much, to sell to another country, um, even if it's Canada. For, like, to me, that's what's appealing. It's like, I think it'd be cool to have, you know, try out the beer in Toronto or something, or try out the beer in Montreal. But, like, those walls, not physical, but just the hurdles you'd have to jump and then navigate to sustainability of a presence in a place are too big mm. for us to even really ever consider. Um, so I wonder, the, the dreamer... The dreamer in me uh, thinks about Canada a lot because there'd be Hmm. certain places that seem like Maine is practically Canada, honestly, in spirit. Especially up there. um, And we get a ton of business from Canada, Mm -hmm. people that travel. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, No, it's more there than here. Um, (laughs) That's a very Canadian phrase. (laughs) Uh, Sounds straight from Strange Brew. Yeah. I'm not not against it whatsoever. Um, honestly, it's it's funny because as the as our closest international partner up it's here, it's just as hard as if we were like selling to Sweden. Practically, we have sold to we have sold beer for events to Canada before. Um, just a colossal pain in the ass. Yeah. A place we um, could drive the beer to in five hours, yep, six hours. Yep, um, yeah, and that's right. The scarring experience for me was just Halifax. Of like, wow. I really think it would be easier to sell this shit in Finland. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. To, but I, not not to say that it is not possible. I mean, there's plenty of breweries around here that are doing it and it would geographically make a ton of sense. I'm curious as like the certain through lines exist in the industry and as people need to look for different ways to sell beer and have places that works for them. I wonder if we'll see any pressure to sort of, uh, you know, put some slack on sort of that that friction in the future. As, oh man! But I don't know. Well, let's test your listenership. Anyone from the any of any the, any of any the fine Canadian Canada. provinces yeah. <laughs> and any any fine importer within the Canadian walls, please yeah. shout out. But yeah, dude, this was okay. great. <clears throat> um, is there anything else? Like, I'm worried because like all these other things that. Like if you just talk about one loop, they they're almost a conversation in itself. I yeah. think it was good to sort of get an overview of just distro for us and yeah. how and how it's sort of because I think it is a unique case in many ways, but also not universal, but uh, familiar in in other facets to just any brewery's trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without naming names, I mean i I've, I've had many conversations in the past few months as we objectively all feel like we're exiting covid uh where where we're where we're taking inventory about what um picture of covid was just god's escape room <laughs> yeah well we're all getting out baby <laughs> 
And as we as we exit the escape room, where 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 we are, we have to confront a changed market, yeah. a changed landscape, changed consumer habits, changed tourism, changed everything. Yeah. And now, as we exit, if we're picking up the pieces from late 2019. What are we, what, where are we yeah. at now? What are we doing now? Where are we trying to be um, next year? Um, Adapt or die is a real phrase for many, for a very real reason. Right. You know? And I think it's in that sense, it's never been truer. Yeah. And it seems like the trend has been up until that point, like what style beers are we like, you know, what style is beer, what fests are we going to? Um, what What is our social media saying about us? And all that stuff is still important. Yeah. But I am, but there is an undeniable tone of what, um, how are we selling our beer anymore? Uh, who wants our beer? How much of it are we willing to produce? Uh, and how are we selling our beer? We got people that we need to take care of. Uh, maybe we've got a second location. Maybe we've got a third location. Maybe we're trying to move out of state. There's, there's, there, there's major fundamental decisions that are being made throughout breweries yeah. all throughout this country right now as we exit all this shit to, to, um, to figure out what, what our path what our next step is because that's all this is this is a series of steps it's not like well where are we going yeah it's like there's part of that but it's just like well where are we going and a lot of that where are we going is how are we selling our beer yeah so you're seeing uh distributor consolidation you're seeing distributors that are just ready to get out of the game they're selling the distribution rights of the breweries in their portfolio to another larger more existing brewery uh you're seeing breweries that were once very very like steadfast about self-distribution that are signing with brew with totally. signing with distributors uh, there, there is an undeniable shift towards how are we selling our beer next? The tap room stuff is booming. It's thriving. It's as good as it's ever been. No one's ever going to complain about the sales are doing at the front door, but it is not 2015 and 2016 anymore. That's, yeah. Um, Percentage wise, way less cans correct. going out the door. Well, correct. Can I ask you for both of you guys? Um, that's what, what I was trying to touch on with, with that earlier question of that change and kind of flip is is you guys have been in this a lot longer than me. I'm kind of hitting my first five year stretch where I kind of, where I kind of look back on that thing and I'm like, man, beer has changed a lot. But I find myself like trying to dig into the weeds myself of like asking myself the question, well, well, what has that, what has changed? What does that mean for how I want to approach the next five years in beer? And just kind of trying to dissect that a little bit where you guys sit. Um, you just did a really good job from the, from the, the production side or from the brewery side, but from what you've seen from distribution and you've seen as a brewery owner, how has it changed in the consumer side? When you talk about these trends and these different things, what do you, what would you classify as some of the changes that you've seen over the last three years from the way people drink beer, how they want to get it, all those things. I'm, I seen a, uh, a major recognition of the familiar, mm. um, it's why it's it's why we have less le- precious. <laughs> it's why we've leaned into core brands the way we have. Yep. Um, because I think that in these very tense and uncertain times, uh, people want to gravitate towards what they know yep. um, and what what reminds them of something more steady than maybe their existence. Um, that's been a big takeaway for me. That's why we haven't really deviated from brewing substance as the as the bulk of our of our um 
portfolio. Hey, baby. Uh, but we also we leading skew. It's our it's our it's our number one leading skew, both by sales and production. Period. Uh, but no, I I think you you have seen I that's what I've seen from a consumer standpoint sure. as the number one. People want what's what's familiar, and I and I and I've heard this from other breweries, and they're either their flagship or their or their most recurring beer that they make mm-hmm. is that it it is it is a time for the familiar. Makes a lot of sense. Um, not not to deviate from the creative side of things, and not to deviate from from a di- from creating diversity within their within their own portfolio, but also to 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 make sure that they um that that they honor the the response that they're getting towards their their um their their core brands totally yeah what about for you Noah? well i think um yes and i think but on the sort of um not flip side but sort of a converse angle to that is i think as a as a like the brewer focused person um brewing something like like it's certainly that that shift has helped lager become a more sellable thing for instance Mm -hmm. that shift has helped um like the fact that we can brew just a regular ass brown ale like that in that market of familiar and less extremes, which is kind of always when I really think about it, always kind of the market. I want to think what I wanted. I've always to live wanted. In. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've always um, wanted. So not, that isn't to say that it's a perfect world and it's far from without challenges. But on that side, there's that. But it's figuring out how to utilize and maximize this environment what is this environment those things it really is just continues to be like the best thing you can do i think in most things in life is is just be ready to change what you're doing period and as it's something that's hard it's inherently hard um yeah but the more you do it the more you force yourself to do it the more you're going to be comfortable doing it the next time again just like anything else yeah a thousand percent you can you if it feels uncomfortable it's probably a fucking good thing and within reason it's mopeding (laughs) oh baby (laughs) it change is inevitable change is hard it's such it's such a stereotype it's such a cliche but it doesn't change the fact that the more you do it the better you get at doing it and uh, it doesn't and it changes has the to fact happen. that change is coming yeah like, exactly outside of you change is going to come um and if you can, don't do it it's just it's going to drive you crazy when it yeah. when the time comes where you don't have a choice anymore and change is being forced on you take it while you fucking can issue a little dominance over the change and uh. please just fucking do it because it's going to help you with that next evolutionary chapter. It's going to happen. And I think a, a sort of interesting side effect of beat that readiness is that it actually puts you in a position, at least it has for us to inadvertently influence the way the broader change goes. Uh. If you're, if you're earlier to the party of trying to do something different, it's only natural that people are going to, there's some amount of people are at least going to pay heed to what you're doing yeah. to feel that out. So I think that's worked in our favor when I look back on things too. Right. Yeah. You never want to be chasing. And, and again, yeah, to, to, to put yourself into that position of change only puts you at the forefront of, of just greater decision-making and industry change. Yeah. Yep. 
Can I can I piggyback on that for one last question? I one really last, because it already feels like we're saying a lot of good things about ourselves. No, so. um, well, I'm going to say one <laughs> one very quick good thing Ugh. to you guys, not about me okay. or the company. Make but it a statement, not a question. Very about quick. That. No, I got I got a, I got a question. I got to ask it. I want. Um, but it's been I got a closer lens to Noah than than you. What we've talked about through here a lot is the change that you guys just spoke about, and it's been fun to watch Noah be excited about these things that like we said, like five years ago, you might think would never want to happen. Um, and frankly, the flip side of that though, is I think that the way you guys have run this until now put you in the position to have this kind of freedom to make these incredible decisions right now. So just as an employee, I want to give you a props for that. But when it comes to what you're saying right now, when you do talk about influencing and kind of moving into being ready to do this, you follow me at Greening and Pod. You you both kind of talked about this. I think you joked about we're even doing it in our true to form, like very specific way that this distro thing needs to be our way. When you do make this decision, as much as you're comfortable to say. What are the, some of the things when you sign over distro rights? Did you see you know, dude, D- distro doesn't rhyme with distro. I'm sorry, but I have to say that. It's distro. I gotta give the I have to give the eye to it. I can change it if you want to, but this is something that happens. I'm crying. Distro. This happens in my household very often. You know what I mean? Oh I, I can go. Go. Keep I going. can't say distro. Keep going. But I can say distribution. Yeah, Keep going. Fine. I don't care. If I'm saying distro, I'm saying distro. But when it comes to signing distribution <laughs> rights, what are some of the things that matter to you that you're thinking about that you are kind of like hard line in the sand stuff to be comfortable about making that decision? Nice short question to answer. Yeah, no, I, I think I can make it real short. Yeah. Uh, I think that it has to be naturally mutually beneficial. Mm. It had the partnership, there has to be there has to be um, acknowledgement of, of of benefit on both sides. One hundred percent. And and I've gathered this now. You recognize that pretty quickly out the gate when when someone recognizes the value you bring and you recognize the value that they bring. Bingo. And at the table together, you you know it. You feel it. It's real. Uh, so I think that's that's what I'm looking for first and foremost, yep. because if you authentically see that in one another, you're going to get to the same place together. Uh, but, you know, you're going to also run across people that don't that do not see you the w- with the same value that you may see within yourself sure. or. But that's kind of their job, too, yeah. is to see that within you or why we here anyways, because yeah. um, if it's just if it's just a cash grab, then then I'm going to see that within you. And I'm going to, and I'm, then we're on to the next table. Yeah. Um, I honestly think it's not a perfect analogy by any stretch, but it's analogous in some degree level to employees, like how you're in relationship with really great employees. Mm -hmm. There is that mutual understanding of you're helping me and I'm helping you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how Mm -hmm. like guys like you, that's how we get to where we are now is like, there's that understanding. And now I'd like to think all three of our lives are a lot better than when we started at our respective times in the business. You know? I don't know. I really like frying chicken for a living. <laughs> Jail wasn't um, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an incredible answer. And it's, College it's, is pretty fun for me, yeah. so things might have gotten worse. It's uh, an incredible answer. Totally. And it's the essence of what makes a fucking partnership work. I yeah. think so, yeah. yeah. And then and obviously there is in that there is a thousand points of nuance yeah. that that you're looking for. Yeah. But but ultimately 
any it, it's a partnership yeah. and in any partnership you want it to be a shared responsibility between the two parties yeah. like and and that's what we're looking for i want to shoulder something for you i want you to shoulder something for me and i want us to like meet in the middle more often than not hell yeah yeah fuck yeah, yeah. i think that is a great way to end it. Yep. Speaking of partnerships, you know how Three Bay works. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, I was hoping this was actually. I thought the conversation would be so heady we weren't going to get. Yeah. No, that's only happened. <laughs> Name your three favorite distributors no. and you're like, you'll worst like food you'll, that you could eat. You'll yeah. like this one. So, three of our beers, anyone, you have your hands on all of them pretty much. Um, and I'm going to hit you with three, uh, I guess in broad strokes, country musicians that I think you like all these guys. Um, so, Margot Price. Uh, we'll go with uh, Orville Peck, and we'll go with our very own, who you'll hear in just a few minutes, Mr. J. Kill. Uh, this is a high-pressure three-bay. No, just you. They they show up. What beer do you want to give oh. them? It's that simple, man. Uh Oh, yeah. So it's open-ended all around. Yeah. Whoever, I, those are the think... three artists, and yep. I choose the three beers. Correct. Um. Well, you, sh- you should also know that you're asking like a, a, a natural overthinker to do this. <laughs> should I pick people you like less? <laughs> uh, no. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I want to think about each person yeah, and like dude, think for like easy. 20 minutes. There's going to be like 20 people listening to might this not, part, the very end of the podcast. doesn't matter. If you just ask me one on one, I'd be taking this long. Okay. Well, treat it as such. Get then. comfortable, boys. Yeah, baby. Man, okay. Uh, it's going to be, uh, all answers are going to be in the form of Michael Scott, where I'm just going to start talking and okay, I don't so really what I know where is. I'm going to end. <laughs> um, I'll start with Orville Peck, give him nothing gold. Mm. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. It inherently uh, works. Yeah, when you look at it aesthetically, it makes sense. He wears ta- uh, like a tassel mask. He's a, he's a tassel masked man, but he's also uh, a born theatrical performer and so when you look at the i'm going purely on aesthetics of nothing gold can right now uh that is um yeah i I, feel like you could have a song that is nothing gold too you know what i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see that yeah i could see that too fuck this is difficult next time i'll pick people you absolutely loathe (laughs) and breweries you absolutely loathe. (laughs) just make it easy you won't have to think about anything um You've seen Margot Price, right? Yeah, a couple times. Um, the easy uh, answer to Margot Price would not necessarily be our our beer, but the something of ourselves program. Mm. Hell um, yeah, the series. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily because like she's a she she's a woman, and the something of, of ourselves series is is uh, is is entirely commanded by the women of this brewery, but. Um, I think when uh, when I think about two forms of like the strength of a woman, Fuck yeah. uh, those are those are two very mm. easy mediums to lean into. No, I don't think there's um, anything to explain there. That makes total sense. To yep. me. And uh, Jake, Back to my Jake. man. Oh, baby. Um, I this would just be an easy layup. I thought that was honestly, the easy one. Yeah. Save it for last. I think that shows how much this man likes Jake Hill, if nothing else. Uh, Jake's... Uh, yeah, Jake's a very diverse musician, and and uh, when you kind of let's keep it when, country, let's go like Mon- Montana era Jake, Montana you know, like, era Jake. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
I think he's ah, Montana era Jake is precept. That's yes. what, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. That's, what that's yeah. the beer he had in his hand shooting a video. Yeah, Montana right era Jake ago. is is just just a a a, a steady, reliable, everyday drinking man. Time tested genre of a beer i don't need my beer fa- he's like the budweiser commercial yeah i don't need my beer fancy <laughs> no you know I, I just want something cold crisp and refreshing at day's end word yep, on the street we got is you homie yeah yep, so he's moving to montana yeah he yeah. is in like three weeks i suppose Sabbatical. maybe he can be our sales salesman for <laughs> to really launch hard into the five thousand five hundred thousand people that live in montana yeah, yeah. so there it is yeah, orville it. peck for nothing gold Margo Price for the Something of Ourselves series mm. and Jake Hill for Precepts. Gang, gang. Yeah. Um, almost called you Josh for some reason, I guess, to in my sign-off mode. Um, sniff, you'll always be sniffed to me, as you requested. Thanks so much, man. Um, yeah, man. Thank you, guys. It's been cool to be on this ride with you. And, uh, yeah, See you next think, year. Think about it a little, yeah, yeah. Think about it a little <laughs> bit more than I ever have. And congrats on the three P, by the way. You know, Thanks, man. Man to man, congrats on that. <laughs> yeah. dude. I'll see you for that four by four, baby. Goodbye, later. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb.